the top names in the men's game not exactly showing any signs of rust at Kapalua for the Century Tournament of Champions. What to expect for Friday's second round in Maui. And we're going to have early highlights from the plantation course coming your way. Plus, some huge news from the USGA today, which will completely change the landscape of women's professional golf. U.S. Women's Open will have a new presenting sponsor and a monumental purse increase. Those details are ahead as Golf Today starts right now. Golf Today. Well, well, well. Happy Friday and welcome inside our Golf Channel headquarters. I'm George Savarikas alongside Golf Channel contributor Eamon Lynch. This is a two-hour edition of Golf Today. Eamon, as a golf fan, it is a ton of fun to watch the action from Kapalua. You see all the pretty pictures. I had friends posting on Instagram from California and Arizona today. They're out golfing while 95% of the country is miserable dealing with snowstorm, ice, and layered up. And there are a few things that are dependable in life and at this time of the year, George. Snow in the northeast, death, taxes, and Aussies playing well. At Kapalua, there's something about this golf course and the Aussies. You know, Jeff Ogilvy won back-to-back -back here. Stuart Appleby won three in a row here. And we've got not only got Cameron Smith at the top, but we have Lucas Herbert, Mark Leishman, Cam Davis. They're all in the top 15 as well. The Islanders, very comfortable on another island. Uh, I loved what we saw out of John Rahm and Patrick Cantley. Both those guys had taken extended breaks, and you're curious, okay, are there going to be any type of missteps? And they both picked up right where they left off the last time we saw them in competition. One shot off the lead. The cream already rising to the top at the Century Tournament of Champions. But we have some... Massive news to start the show. The USGA and Prometica have announced a long-term partnership that includes presenting partner rights for the U.S. Women's Open beginning with the 2022 championship at Pine Needles. The purse will nearly double, increasing from $5.5 million to $10 million, the highest in women's golf and among the leaders in all of women's sports. This partnership will also feature future host sites at some of the most iconic courses in the United States, as well as increased charitable outcomes. Some notes arising from this deal. As you see, the 2022 championship will be staged June 2nd through 5th at Pine Needles Lodge and Golf Club in Southern Pines, North Carolina. The champion in 2022 will receive a payout of $1.8 You see that purse increase. That's $4.5 million. Their USGA isn't stopping there. They're committing to raising the U.S. Women's Open purse to $11 million, then $12 million. This over a five-year horizon going forward. Now let's say hi to USGA CEO Mike Wan. Mike, a massive day for the USGA and the women's game. Can you just describe how important a step this is? Yeah, Mother Nature didn't make it easy here in New York City to get this done today. But today we, uh, you know, we introduced a uh, new presenting partner. First time in 127 years that the it's now the U.S. Uh, women's Open presented by Prometica. Changes three things: purse, places, and and purpose. I mean, we're going to go to a 10 million dollar purse. Next year, up from our 5.5 million last year, on our way to 12. So we'll be at 10, then 11, then 12 million dollar purse. Um, we're, we added five more incredible places to a list that already included names like uh, Pebble and Marion and Oakmont. But we we introduced Interlochen today. We introduced Oakland Hills today. We introduced Pinehurst back to back in 29, uh, like you saw from us in 2014. Um, so pretty big, uh, big day. Inverness in uh, in uh, in 27, and uh, so. We're pretty excited about, you know, about what we're doing on purse, what we're doing on places, and we're also going to increase the real purpose, the impact of this event. ProMedica is a not-for-profit 
mission-based company just like us. So together, we're going to make sure this championship doesn't just impact the lives of, of athletes that can dream about playing in this, but impact the lives of millions of people uh, with their own social uh, health. So we want to make sure that this event means something inside the ropes, means something outside the ropes, take it to the cathedrals of the game, and put together a purse that, quite frankly, sends a new statement and a new high watermark for, uh, for, for, to push all push the, the women's game forward. Mike, how long was the process for the USGA to get here? And, and did you feel an onus as an organization to be a leader in the effort to invest in women's sports? I don't know that I can name it, give you the exact date, but I can tell you that when we played the U.S. Women's Open um, down in South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina, I had a meeting with Mike Davis and some of the leadership, and we talked about this concept. And I was the LPGA commissioner. What if the U.S. Women's Open added the presenting partner? How would that look? How would that feel? How would that go over? What would be the benefits that we could perceive? And as you can imagine, you guys know me, I was, uh, I was all in. I said, if you want my help, I'm more than happy to help. So when I got there in the middle of 2021, I wasn't really sure where this project had gone, whether it had gone away, whether it was still in process. When I walked in and found out that this was active and alive, in fact, they were having active conversations with corporate partners about this concept, I was excited. I, um, I also knew ProMedica from my previous life at the LPGA, and I knew that they were looking for something big. In their minds, they were looking for something big, major, rotation, network, and their, their, that conversation was going off in my head when I walked in in July of, uh, of 21. So it was the first, first phone call I made, and a couple of months later, here we are. What's the knock-on effect you would like to see from, from this example being set in terms of either other bodies or other sports investing more in the game? Well, at the end of the day, I mean, it's, uh, we're all, you know, we all are competitive in our own ways, but I think the good news is this isn't, uh, Mike Wan's not driving this train. This train's been going down a track for, for a lot of years. We're seeing significant increases uh, in purses and pay to, to female sports, better network coverage. So I feel like this only, may, this only continues to push the momentum forward. And uh, somebody asked me in the press conference, you know, um, how high is up? And I said, you know, I've, I've learned long ago that taking a real monster step, I mean, going from 5 million to 10 million feels like a lot when you first have the conversation in a boardroom. But once you do it, and once you sort of get over that, it's like hitting a, it's like hitting a really tough flop shot. I mean, once you hit it, you realize you can hit it. You can work on it some more. We just took a monster step today. And I think the good news for us and others that are thinking about it is it's doable. And now that we've done it, like anybody else, we're excited about doing it again. Mike, I remember we first met back in 2013 in Naples as part of the CME Group Tour Championship. You had kind of shared your vision for the LPGA Tour at that time. You have a massive step now for the women's game as the USGA CEO. What future steps do you envision going forward? Well, if we're just talking about the women's game, I think the, the most important thing that we're all working on is the next generation and the generation after that. As I said in today's meeting to Julie Inkster and Mega Gagne and Danielle Kang, as great as this is for you all who are here now playing and, and understanding this career, the real benefit of this announcement is for your daughters and your daughter's daughters, for the dreams to get bigger, for dreaming about places like Marion and Oakland Hills and Oakmont, and for dreaming about purses and and purpose of this level. So I really think the most important thing, and, and my time at the LPGA, I get asked this question all the time, what are you most proud of? And that's easy for me. When I joined the LPGA, about 18% of junior golf were women. And when I left, it was a little less than 40%. If we keep going that, if we can make this game 50-50 for the future, that's the original vision of the United States Golf Association. That means we're leaving the game uh, in better shape. And, and if I'm honest with you, 
I'm just as excited about doing the same thing on the men's side as we're talking about here on the women's side. This won't be the last announcement we make about championships or growing the game because uh, the opportunity for me in stepping into this role is to take that kind of concept, that kind of uh, vision and opportunity and make sure we do that for everybody, whether we're talking about young or old, uh, amateur, professional. Um, this is something I think we, uh, we need to wake up and think about all the time. The most important thing for me at age 57 is when I'm done with this job, that I leave the game better for my kids' kids or didn't I? Because I think that's uh, that's what I can give in, in sort of my final years in a job. You allude to potential announcements in the pipeline. Any possible timeline when you're, uh, you know, in regards to the men's side? Well, I didn't say that like I have a press release in my pocket, but, um, <laughs> but you can, you can one, you know me, like I'm not, I'm not media shy. And when we have yeah. news to tell, I want to tell you, but yeah, I would expect this spring we'll be talking a little bit about the U.S. Open and we'll probably have some more news coming on uh, on sites and, and, and what that's going to feel like as well. So um, we don't have anything like this in the pipeline. I got asked the question, is there is there one on the senior open or the U.S. senior women's? No, this is the only presenting partner we worked on. Um, we're going to focus on this for a while. We're both nervous. It's new for Prometica. It's new for the USGA. I love being nervous because that means we're working on something really meaningful. If you're not nervous, you're probably taking the, the road more traveled and I want to take the road less traveled and push the envelope a little bit. But yeah, expect more news. This isn't the last thing we're going to say at the USGA here in 2022. Mike, this isn't just a, a big move in women's golf. It's a big move for the USGA because the organization has never had a commercial partner so closely associated with a national championship before. Was there any hesitancy to do this or does everyone understand that these are the commercial realities necessary to elevate women's national championships? Uh, well, absolutely, there was hesitancy, myself included. I mean, when you when you respect the history of the game the way we do at the USJ and the way I do, I'm a young kid who started cutting greens when I was 13 years old. So it's this uh, this sport and this game means a lot to me. So I didn't want to um, I didn't want to abort from really quality history. But at the same time, I remember saying to the executive committee and to the staff of the USGA, let's always respect and cherish the traditions that we've built, and at the same time, let's not be so steeped in them that we're afraid to make some new traditions and to make some new history ourselves. So um, just like I was saying to you that Prometica is nervous, I could promise you there's plenty of us, myself included at the USGA, that are nervous too. And uh, that's how I knew it was right. I mean, uh, when you're working on something big, when you're really gonna change lives, when you're gonna change the dreams of young girls all around the world, that should feel a little uncomfortable and getting there isn't uh, isn't as easy as doing exactly what you did last year, but 5% harder. So this is uh, this is a monster step. Um, we realize that historically this is new for our organization, and I feel the responsibility to make sure that this is a complete home run. Um, but I like I like it. I like being a little nervous. I like my partner being nervous. And so, yeah, this was uh, if, you, if, if I'd be lying to you if I said this didn't create some uneasiness. But as we talked about in the group, a little uneasiness means we're working on something that matters. Mike, always come away energized having a conversation with you as a golf fan. Very excited uh, by the news. Congratulations uh, on the next step uh, for the Women's Open. Thanks for covering us, guys. We appreciate it. We had alluded to those upcoming venues, and, I mean, a lot of class there, to that, say the least, David. That's an all-star list of venues right there. Pebble Beach, Pinehurst, Marion, Oakland Hills, Oakmont. Yeah, you see Aaron Hills getting to host a U.S. Women's Open after hosting a men's open within the past five years. Oakland Hills, they just did that massive renovation with the hopes of hosting USGA championships. They have two now in 2031 and 2042.
Let's welcome in Golf Channel analyst Paige McKenzie. Paige, you have played in a U.S. Women's Open. You've covered it. When you hear the news today, uh, what's the reaction? Uh, it's fantastic news all around. I think it's fantastic for the industry. Uh, the USGA is a pillar in our industry, and you look to them to figure out or to help determine what's important. And when the USGA and their partners put together a package like this for the women, they're telling everybody this is important. The women are important. And I've been as critical about the USGA and certain decisions they've made as anybody. Uh, I think back to 2017 when they made a large purse increase. They moved the men's open from 10 million to 12 million. On the women's side, they only increased it by 500,000. So they actually increased the pay gap in 2017 uh, between the two, the men's and the women's. And I was very critical of that because I felt like that was signaling something wrong, sim signaling something that the USGA doesn't stand for. They stand for equality. They stand for introducing women, more women to the game. So today, uh, I have no, no reason to be critical. Uh, all of this was incredible news, the venues as well as the purse increases. Yeah, that's what I'm really interested in as well, Paige. This isn't just a matter of, of the money. When you look at some of the venues that are lined up here with, with Marion and Oakmont and Oakland Hills and Pebble Beach, what kind of a statement does that make about elevating this championship? Because it hasn't always benefited from having particularly strong venues in the past, has it? You're absolutely correct. I think giving players a bigger stage, a recognizable stage, a stage in which the average fan will tune in just because they want to see the women tee off number 10 at Riviera, that continues to elevate the game. It also provides, uh, I think, a validation of their credibility. If they feel like the players deserve and are capable of competing on these big, big golf courses, big venues. Uh, it's not a question that I've ever had, but it certainly is validation that the USGA feels it's important for the women to be playing these kinds of venues. Eamon, we had heard Mike Wan saying this isn't a, a Mike Wan step. It's a step for both the USGA and the women's game. But, but to have this type of announcement this early in his tenure as USGA CEO, it, it seems like a statement. It is a statement, and it's a statement that's overdue, George. We've seen the great and the good in this game for a very long time. Virtue signal, make all the, the, the right noises about the need to invest in women's golf. But it's a lot easier to sign a press release than it is to sign a check. Now we're actually finally seeing people sign checks and we can see here what the purses look like in women's majors now and this is a trend we've seen over the last year or so the AIG Women's British Open is also showing a big bump in its purse up to 6.8 million this year which is a lot more than it was a couple of years ago with the US Women's Open showing this huge jump the Chevron is 60% up over when it was last year the ANA Championship yeah it went from 3.2 to 5 Yes, and so you're, you're, you are seeing this trend emerging here where people are actually finally managing to put their money where their mouth has been for a very long time. It's overdue and most welcome. Paige, when you see that $10 million number, then, that, that's kind of the, the anchor as a major. You, you see on the men's side, all the majors kind of fall in lockstep. There's not like a, a huge disparity between the payout. Looking forward... How tangible an impact do you think that will be with the other majors then wanting to try and get an equal footing? Well, you've got to start somewhere, mm -hmm. George. And I think that's uh, the, the ability that the USG ha has to set that tone, to set that bar high. Uh, there was not going to be, I don't think, another organization that would have made that jump that quickly and that big 
so it was going to have to be the USGA. Do I think it's attainable? Yes. Do I think it may take another five to ten years for the rest of the majors to even sniff that number? Perhaps. Uh, but you do have to start somewhere. I think the U.S. or excuse me, the LPGA was anticipating these moves. If you look at what they've done with their point structure, they took a lot of their uh, priority list and eligibility list now off of points instead of off of money because the majors are heavily weighted. And in this case, now the U.S. Open even more heavily weighted than the other major championships. So they've they've adapted to it as well. The, the number that stood out to me that Mike shared, and it had nothing to do with anything financial, was the increased participation among uh, female golfer, youth female golfers. And he said the number jumped from 18% to 40%. And obviously the end goal is for it to be 50-50, but I thought that was just such a seismic increase and a, a signal that youth participation is moving in the right direction. Uh, and this can only help that cause. If you're a, a kid who's into golf and you're looking at a $1.8 million winner's check, the U.S. Women's Open, that's going to get your attention. Suddenly it seems as though it's, it becomes much more aspirational. And I know it's, it's a crass sign of aspiration, just the, the finances of it rather than the glory of the title. But it's a financial issue that matters. I mean, you look at Annika Sorenstam with more than 70 wins on the LPGA Tour, and Annika's biggest check of her entire career was $560,000 for winning the U.S. Women's Open back in 2006. I'm just wondering, when you see these numbers coming around now, if Paige is actually thinking about a comeback at this stage, because suddenly the, the <laughs> revenue that's out there is looking a lot bigger than it was even just a few years ago. I know Paige can still swing it, but I'm not sure if a comeback's in it order. Is if you want to break qualifying. some news, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> it is open qualifying. I'd consider it. But I think, Eamon, you bring up a good point. Uh, when I turned professional, yeah, I was hoping to play 20 years, and then halfway into the first year, I was like, yeah, maybe 10 years. But I always knew there was a second career. There's so few LPGA players that were in my generation that legitimately had enough money at their end of their playing career to retire comfortably at the age of 35. It just didn't happen. This is a game changer as it relates to how players and young players are going to evaluate professional golf as a career. It can be a solo endeavor. You don't have to think of the plan B once you hit 30, 35 and realize that you're still needing to have an income in order to you know, sustain the rest of your life. You don't see that on the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour is inching closer to making that a reality. And the number that you shared with Annika's win in 06, it was a $560,000 payout. That is now a, a 3x change in a 16-year window for what the winner is going to receive in 2022. So it's great to see that growth and where the women's game is now. All right, let's switch gears now to some early second-round highlights from the Century Tournament of Champions. This courtesy of ESPN Plus. Patrick Reed opened with a 1 over 74 on the second. That'll do. Reed, back to even. Justin Thomas from off the green on the par four third. This is his third shot. Most of us would. I mean, we had said something or nothing given his track record here at the Century Tournament Champions. I said I wanted to be a contra contrarian. Didn't have the stones, but I did say something with the putter. Well, yesterday he ranked 37th out of 38 putters in the field, George, so it hasn't improved much in the early going today. That short miss drops a shot, so Justin Thomas 
You don't want to see the number 38 by your name when there's 38 players in the field. Currently at, at two over, he is in last. Patrick Reed is in a tie for 35th. Coming up, we're only in the first week of the new year, but could the player of the year race be heating back up? World number one, John Rahm, reigning FedEx Cup champ, Patrick Cantley, off to a sizzling start in Maui. We're going to have more on fire and ice when we return. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. More on the ground from Kapalua. We welcome in Steve Burkowski. Burko, you're in, you're out. We see low numbers on the plantation course at Kapalua. No different for yesterday's round one. Yeah, it really wasn't a surprise, George, considering the conditions, considering preferred lies were in effect. And you just showed some of the highlights from Thursday. Cameron Smith, the three-time PGA Tour winner, he gets around in eight under par. Not a bad way to kick off 2022. And it is the third time in his PGA Tour career he's had the lead or share the lead after 18 holes. And while it is very early, maybe that is a good omen, particularly at this event, 12 times in the history of this tournament. The first round leader or co-leader has gone on to win. That happened a year ago. Harris English doing it. Cameron Smith looking to do the same, but a lot of heavy hitters hot on his heels, including world number one John Rahm and the FedEx Cup champ Patrick Cantley. Thoughts from all three after their opening round on the PGA Tour in 2022. Course is really receptive. Um, it, it's going to be low scoring all week unless the wind gets it, unless the wind gets up. Um, I don't think that's meant to be the case. So. Um, yeah, it'll probably take something, you know, maybe three more of those to, to get the job done. I mean, you can always expect a little bit of rust, but, again, I, I took time off, but I wasn't on the couch, right, doing nothing. Uh, I was still working out. I was still practicing as if I was still on the season, right? I took maybe three weeks off of golf, which were very needed. But uh, even though I was home, I was practicing. Um, and, again, not that I'm surprised that I played good, but it's it's really good to come out and start the year off the right way. I think uh, I'm, I'm a little rusty, and I saw that in my start. I got away with a couple of loose swings um, and one flyer on the sixth hole where I was able to make a par but maybe shouldn't have. And, um, you know, I got up and down a lot on the front nine and kind of saved myself and um, then really got on a roll in the back nine. Yeah, I mean, it was very soft, um, and that's just all the rain that they've been getting here. Uh, like I was saying earlier, I don't think I've – seen it this soft before so if the wind doesn't blow like crazy i think it's going to be a really low scoring week so much for the rust for some of the very best players in the world after that slow start on thursday patrick cantley played the last six holes in six under par john rom all he did was go bogey free in his year opener here in maui george and if you wonder about the conditions today a very gentle breeze right now the wind really not expected to blow more than five to ten miles per hour and for the second consecutive day ball in hand weather uh, a little bit wet still out there so a chance for these players you know it you put the ball in their hand with some preferred lies uh, expect low scores here in friday's second round yeah that's certainly a dangerous combination gonna be fun seeing patrick cantley and john rom now head-to-head it's part of that same twosome, Burko. Let's take a look at the head-to-head -head odds for these guys. Rob, the favorite, minus 108. You see Patrick Cantley, plus 129. If you want to, you know, lay some action on double zero, go for a tie. It's plus 775. Patrick can't get no respect. 
You're world number one, though. I mean, if you're, if, I mean, the bookmaker, you, you got to go with John Rom. Yesterday, we were talking about Colin Morikawa, John Rom, if that can be a potential rivalry. John Rom and Patrick Cantley have had some head to heads and then also different circumstances with Memorial where Cantley wound up winning, but Rom was a runaway 54 hole leader. These guys playing together today. Do you think they'll be seeing a lot of each other and that this could grow into something bigger? I hope so, because they've certainly been seeing a lot of each other over the last year and a half. If you go back to the Zozo that Patrick Cantlay won at the end of 2020, at the start of last season, he just kind of outslugged John Ram at the end of that. Then there was their unfinished business from the Memorial Tournament when Ram withdrew with a six-stroke lead and Cantley won the trophy with a Morikawa playoff win the next day. They slugged it out in Eastlake in the FedEx Cup finale as well. And here they are circling each other again. And they're both doing it in very different ways yesterday. Patrick Cantley was second in the field in putting, whereas John Ram was first in the field, strokes gained tee to green. They're both playing to their strengths here. And it's going to be really interesting to see if they, at some point in the next couple of days, manage to separate themselves a little bit. Because you can guarantee the two guys ahead of them, Cam Smith and Daniel Berger, are very much aware of who's right behind them in the next to last group today. Are you that aware in the second round, or is that something you're more aware of on the weekend? I think in this tournament you're aware of it in the second round because slow starters don't catch up at Kapaloo. It almost never happens where a guy who gets off to a slow start or falls behind can suddenly come back. The scoring is too good here, and I think these guys know who's behind them right from the off today. Paige, yesterday uh, Eamon and I were pining wistfully for a rivalry to develop in the men's game. Any chance that Patrick Cantley and John Rahm could be the two guys to fill that need? I will say they would have the best moniker in Fire and Ice. I really am I'm rooting for this to develop. Uh, but you never know. I, I think that John Rahm's not going anywhere. We've seen the progression over the last five years to this point, and there's very few holes in the game in his game. For Patrick Cantlay, interestingly, the progression has been somewhat the same. Even though he's older and even though he turned pro a little sooner, he really didn't have a full season on the PGA Tour until 2017, which was the same as John Rahm. And we've seen both with six wins up until this point. So would I like to see it? Absolutely. I think you have two different styles of play, two different personalities on the golf course. I think it would create a very uh, dramatic back and forth between these two, and both have proven themselves at every aspect of the game, every level of the game, and now at the very top of the game, trying to battle it out. I think for this to actually materialize into something, Patrick needs to play at that high level we saw in the FedEx Cup playoffs and all of golf's biggest events, including the, the players, the majors, et cetera. We haven't seen that yet on his resume, and you need that ingredient for this to be something where fans can really embrace it as, hey, it's fire and ice dueling it out on all of golf's <laughs> biggest stages. Yeah, there, there's definitely that next tier that's still left in Cantley's career that he has not ascended to yet in the way that John Ram has. But the one thing those guys have both proven through 18 holes here is that rust is overrated, George. I mean, they, they did very different things on their, their breaks. You know, John Ram talked about enjoying getting up in the middle of the night defeat his new son while Cantley, I assume, was counting $15 million, and that's why he needed four months off to do that. But they're certainly showing no signs that they rusted up while they were off. Yeah, two uh, very different sets of circumstances <laughs> during their time away from professional <laughs> golf. Uh, some other time away from professional golf and very serious news to share. This surrounding U.S. Ryder Cup captain Steve Stricker, who is recovering from a recent health scare, which started as a sore throat and cough, resulted in inflammation around his heart. He was hospitalized for two weeks and lost 25 pounds. 
In an interview with Wisconsin Golf, Stricker revealing that he's still dealing with inflammation around the heart. It is getting better. In the article, Stricker went on to say, I'm walking around a little bit. I'm starting to be a little bit more active and building a little bit more of a tolerance. Things are definitely better. I kind of have a feeling that the Ryder Cup could have had a part in it. Maybe the stress, it's a letdown, right? After that happens, your immune system probably down, probably played a role in it somehow. I'm lucky. I'm feeling like things are going in the right direction. I've just got to give it time. There's a period where he couldn't have solid foods. So Captain Stricker saying he's taking steps in the right direction and keeping Captain Stricker in our thoughts. Hopefully we're going to see him competing out there in the PGA Tour Champions this summer. Stay with us. We're going to have more from Maui ahead. Golf Central returning on the other side of the short break. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. And like we've mentioned, the breaking news today, the USGA and ProMedica have announced a long-term partnership that includes presenting partner rights for the U.S. Women's Open, beginning with the 2022 championship at Pine Needles. The purse is going to nearly double, increasing from 5.5 to 10 million, the highest in women's golf and among the leaders in all of women's sports. The partnership will also feature future host sites at some of the most iconic courses in the United States, as well as increased charitable outcome. These are the notes you see. Pine Needles Lodge and Golf Club in Southern Pines, North Carolina. That's where the next U.S. Women's Open will be staged June 2nd through 5th, 2022 champion, which Eamon has touched on. $1.8 million the payout with the purse jumping $4.5 million, 5.5 to $10 million. The USGA has committed to the U.S. Women's Open purse increasing to 11 and then $12 million over the next five years. So we have two-time major champion. Brittany Lincecum hopping on the show. Uh, I mean, the golf world buzzing over the news today. Your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, it was only a matter of time for Mike Wan to go in there and get some stuff done and move us in the right direction. And holy cow, uh, when this was announced today, you know, it's just an incredible time for women's golf, an incredible time to be a part of the LPGA Tour. And, you know, we're only going up. You've seen over the, the past couple months, all the purses seem to be increasing. All the majors are increasing. Um, and it's just awesome. It's awesome to see. Uh, hopefully I'll be around, you know, 10 or plus more years to, uh, to get some of that money. Um, but it's just a great time for the LPGA. And we're obviously very excited. Brittany, you've won the Chevron, what is now the Chevron Championship twice. And most recently mm -hmm. in 2015, 
you earned $375,000. Did you ever imagine that you'd play for a first place check of five times that? Absolutely not. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. I think Beth Ann Baldry tweeted today that only three players last year made over 1.8 million, and now one person is going to make 1.8 million at one tournament. So um, it's just really cool to see. You know, obviously bridging that gap to the PGA, and uh, we're obviously going in the right direction, and it's really cool to see. It feels like the women's game has had momentum that's just been building and building and building. For us, <laughs> Northeasterners are going to say it's the snowball that keeps getting larger. The step today, how, how would you quantify it? I mean, I, I, I can't even put it into words. I literally saw it on social media just like everybody else. Um, it was the best-kept secret. Obviously, they were trying to get it done and didn't want to spoil anything. So, um, But it's... It's just, again, it's a step in the right direction. People taking a chance on the LPGA and seeing uh, the return on their investments. You know, it's a great product, and uh, we have a lot of great players. Any player on the LPGA can win. I feel like when I first came on tour, there was probably only about 15, maybe 20 that could win, and now anybody has a chance. That, that's how deep it goes, and that's how good the LPGA is. So, um, like I said, it's just a great time to be part of the LPGA and be playing for all these purses that are increasing. It's awesome. Brittany, I'm curious what you think the impact is even beyond the dollar figures here, because the money matters, sure, but the message matters too, right? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, like I said, there's so many different players, you know, obviously being an American player, I love seeing Nelly Korda up there, but what Jin Young Ko has done, you know, it's fans like to see those Annika Sorenstams, those Lorena Ochoa's leading the way, and um, you know, we finally have a couple girls that are, you know, at that top spot every week. So, um, but it's great. You know, obviously the U.S. Open, obviously doing a lot of charitable stuff as well. So it's just a, a full package deal and it's really cool to see. Brittany, as we look at the upcoming venues, how has this landscape changed from what you saw the past 10 to 15 years looking forward 10 to 15 mm. years? Yeah, I had to write them down because it's hard to remember. It goes all the way to 2031, which is insane. But, um, you know, Oakmont I've played before. It was probably the hardest golf course I have ever played. Um, you know, Lancaster, we've been there before. I think that's going to be awesome. Riviera is going to be super special. I mean, all these golf courses are super iconic. Um, it's really cool to see, you know, the U.S. Open taking us to such wonderful places. KPMG has been taking us to some amazing places. So uh, it's cool to have, you know, some of these famous golf courses that you see on TV and, um, you know, in the top 100 and actually getting to be able to play them. So um, super lucky. I mean, like, like you see that list there. I mean, it's, it goes so deep and it's really cool to see. We see every summer, <laughs> Brittany, what the pressure of trying to win the U.S. Women's Open does <laughs> to people, particularly on Sunday <clears throat> afternoon. Do you think the fact that they're going to play for so much more money is actually going yeah. to increase the pressure or is it, is it as, as much pressure as you can already handle? Gosh, I mean, it's, I think it's going to increase the pressure. I mean, obviously, um, every putt that you have now is just, you know, you're getting further away from winning $1.8 million. So um, I think it's going to be a lot more pressure. But, you know, I feel like there's so many girls that are up for that challenge. So hopefully I'm in the mix there. It'd be cool to – the U.S. Open is the only one that I want to win before I retire one of these days. I think it would be cool to uh, have that in my collection. And, um, you know, obviously with all these great courses coming up, I feel like uh, I have a good chance. So – um, but, yeah, I think, you know, the, the money on, on top of, you know, you needing to play well. Uh, thank God we have fans back out now, so that makes it more challenging. Um, but, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's great. USGA CEO Mike Wan was on golf today <laughs> earlier and talked about the increased participation 
uh, among uh, youth on the women's side, going from 18% to 40%, I believe it was over the, the past five to 10 years or so. What type of trickle-down effect do you think announcements like this will have for the women's game going forward in the next five to 10 years? No, oh, it's incredible. You know, I'm a, a big supporter of the LPGA Girls Golf Program, USGA Girls Golf Programs, uh, the first tee here. I'm on the board of our first tee. I love getting kids involved with the game of golf. I want to leave the game better than what it was when I came out. So seeing those numbers increase and seeing more kids getting involved with the game of golf, even my daughter is two. I'm trying to get her involved, whether it's, uh, you know, high school, college, pro, whatever it is, whether it's just playing with her dad and I for fun. It's just such a wonderful game. So seeing all these kids coming up, um, you know, I, I played with a college girl today. Um, just seeing them out there, it, it makes my heart happy. You know, it makes me happy to see them out. And um, it's just such a great game to play until you're 100 years old, you know. So um, I think it's, it's obviously great, you know, when kids see, oh, my gosh, I could play for the $10 million first. That's really cool. So I think that it wants them to get out there and play more. Brittany, I appreciate you chatting with us through gritted teeth. I'm going to say enjoy your time in sunny Florida. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, some more social media reaction. This uh, on the men's side. Justin Rose saying fantastic news at U.S. Women's Open. Round um, of applause. Who knows something about picking up a first place check at a U.S. Open. He does. And one of the future sites for the U.S. Women's Open, that would be Marion, where Justin Rose won in 2013. Bubba Watson, awesome to hear at U.S. Women's Open. And Mackenzie Hughes. This is awesome. Nice work at USGA, at LPGA. So cool to see. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Brooks Kepka's opening round, a 68 yesterday. That's his lowest opening round at the Century Tournament of Champions compared to his three previous instances. And our crack researcher, Kevin Casey, telling us the last two wins on the PGA Tour for Brooks Kepka. His first round score, Eamon, a 68. A nice which would be four under par on most courses, as 69 is here. So Brooks Kepka on the range, 5.05 Eastern Time. Burko, they say health is wealth. Brooks Kepka keeps telling us that he's getting closer to that 100%.
Yeah, without a question, George caught up with Brooks a little bit earlier this week, and he said this is the closest to 100% he has felt in the last 18 to 24 months. We all were enamored by his major championship run just a few years ago, but seemingly the question Brooks was asked over the last 18 months or so, his health, and he would continue to say, I'm good, I'm not here to make excuses, but I think there was that realization that the body wasn't able to do what he wanted it to do, so he has a better understanding now of when to practice, how to practice, let that body heal just a little bit. Said probably about 95% is where he is right now. What I thought was intriguing about my conversation with him, I said, well, what did you do maybe on that downtime when you couldn't hit balls for three or four hours? He told me he believes his golf IQ has improved dramatically, a better understanding of his swing, his game, maybe some technical things that he didn't look deep into in the past. That sounds like a scary proposition, George, if Brooks is close to 100% and he has a more improved golf IQ. Maybe everyone else better watch out for Brooks Kepka here this week and in 2022 as well. We've seen it before. If Brooks adds that element, what do you think he's capable of? Well, we've seen what he's capable of with four major championships when he when he's actually fully healthy and, and motivated for the game. And, you know, he's managed to keep himself in the news quite a bit in the last six months, but he wasn't doing it with his golf clubs. I mean, we haven't actually seen much of him towards the business end of a leaderboard since the, the two Opens last summer and the Travellers in between. He had top six finishes in all of those. And the, the end of his season was pretty mediocre. He missed cuts at Mayakoba and missed a cut at Houston. But he spent a lot of time in the off-season, what little off-season there actually was. He spent a lot of time at home in Florida working on his game. As, as Steve said, he's healthy, he's confident, and I think he's still probably got that little bit of a chip on his shoulder where he still thinks he's got something to prove. Brooks is a prideful man, and during that run from 2017 to 19, he had elevated his performance in majors, but his weeks away from the PGA Tour, he was completely away. And I think now with his performance the past couple of years, especially dealing with the health issues, He's 16th in the world rankings. We haven't seen him that far down since prior to his first major victory. I think he has that hunger to get back to where he was, not just in majors, but among the top three in the world rankings. And there was a time when he actually showed up here where you would wonder if he was still actually on vacation. If you go back to 2018, Brooks was last in the field that week by six strokes, and he was 37 shots behind Dustin Johnson by Sunday night. So he looks this year as though he's actually shown up for work and not for play. Paige, Brooks Kepka at 95%. What comes to mind? <laughs> uh, don't underestimate. I don't, you know, I mean, we've seen so many injuries throughout his career. I can't even tell you how many times we've actually seen him at 100%. So 95% uh, is just fine. And the way that I look at, at Brooks Kepka and how he's been able to navigate his career is he's always been able to find an edge. And if he's not able to practice as much as he wants to, then he's going to figure out a different way to differentiate himself. He's going to think differently than other players. He's going to view the golf course differently. He's going to start using the gym differently. He's going to adapt because he's always going to find a way or a reason why he believes he's better than everybody else. And I respect that. I admire that because it, it is so critical that when you step inside the ropes that you do believe that you're better than everybody else and you know why. And he's always had that edge 
uh, when he tees it up. And it doesn't matter if he's 95% or 100%, he's going to be ready. Yeah, Paige, when you say reason, the reason for Brooks Kepka is often what fuels him both inside and outside the ropes. Still to come uh, on Golf Today as we have more in the show. Summer Hayes becoming a household name in the game of golf. Boyd, of course, the coach of Tony Finau. And coming up next, we're joined by his daughter, Grace Summerhays, getting ready to take her talents to ASU this month and keeping it in the family in Tempe. So the Summerhays family, a name that's very well known in golfing circles. Boyd, of course, as his son Preston, who's a previous U.S. junior amateur champ, and his daughter, Grace, 17 years old, just graduated high school one semester early, so she has enrolled mid-season at Arizona State. You see she qualified for match play at age 15 at the 2019 Utah State Amateur. That was a men's competition. Has competed in Corn Ferry Tour and PGA Tour qualifiers. She's going to join her brother Preston, who is on the men's golf team at ASU. So let's welcome in soon-to-be Arizona State-bound Grace Summerhays. Uh, Grace Curious, why did you decide to leave high school early and start your college experience now? Yeah, well, I knew I was going to graduate a semester early because I do online school. So it just kind of allowed me to get a little bit ahead in school. So it just kind of left my options open for either practicing or actually going to college a little bit early. Um, just kind of gave me some options. And uh, I would say just before the end of last season, uh, coach talked to me and just said, hey, our best player might leave early. So I just kind of had that in my mind, knowing that she might leave. So I actually could join the team and she did end up leaving. So um, I just thought about it a little bit more and I just think I'm ready for the next step and ready to test my game out. Grace, we've heard about your dad, obviously, Tony Finau's coach, your brother, also an accomplished golfer. But you know, your, your mm -hmm. uncle Daniel played the tour. Your dad's uncle, Bruce, won on the Champions Tour. Your grandfather was a collegiate golfer. Your great-grandfather was a college golf coach. Is there any doubt at all that you're going into the family business? Uh, no. No, I'm definitely sticking with golf for sure. <laughs> In the Summer Hayes family, obviously, you're, you're well-traveled together. You and Preston playing yeah. amateur golf competitions together. Uh, but but also, I mean, you were just, what, in Hawaii a, a couple days ago? So you, it seems yeah. like you had a, a decent winter holiday getting to head out to <laughs> Kapalua for a few days. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> Weather was perfect and got to watch some golf, so it was fun. What's the experience like when you're out there and then you see Tony's process and what he's working in day in and day out to compete on the PGA Tour? Yeah. It's been so cool to have Tony just kind of almost as my role model, you know, they, he works hard and just seeing kind of him and other players, just seeing that everyone's process is kind of different, but it's just cool that they all work for each players. And yeah, it's just been so amazing. And I've been so fortunate to get a close up look at what he does and all the other players do. When you're starting out on your career now, Grace, and you see today's announcement that the winner of the U.S. Women's Open this summer will get a check for $1.8 million. What does that do for your kind of motivation? Oh, amazing. You know, when I read that, I was thrilled. It's awesome for women's golf, and it's amazing just for 
women's sports in general, you know, just knowing that we're progressing and, you know, I think the purse last year was 5 million, 6 million, somewhere around there. So it's so cool to see the progress and just a big jump and not only the money, but even just seeing the courses that they're playing. We're going to play Riviera, Inverness, I think Pebble Beach. So it's pretty cool to see. Uh, you and your brother Preston are going to be the first brother-sister golf duo at Arizona State. Uh, what's it going to be like having Preston there? And what was his sales pitch to you to say, uh, you have to come to Tempe? Yeah, well, I knew going into college that wherever Preston was going to go was going to kind of sway where I wanted to go to, but Arizona State was always in my mind. But it's going to be really cool. You know, this past couple, five or six months has been so weird for me not having him at home, not having like my practice buddy. So I'm really excited to get back competing with him and practicing with him a lot. And it makes it easy on uh, your parents to just pop on down to Tempe. You got <laughs> both of you right there enjoying the college yeah. experience at Arizona. When do you actually get to campus? I move in tomorrow. Okay. Ooh, that's a thrill. I remember what it was like first day <laughs> stepping into my dorm room way, way back when, Eamon. Don't give me that snide look. <laughs> I'm just hoping Grace behaves a little better at college than you did, George. <laughs> we will table that discussion for another day. Grace, congratulations on the next step, and we're excited to follow you now as part of the Arizona State Women's Golf Team. Thank you so much. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.